Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Are you tired of working 9 to 5? Are you tired of your dreams going unfulfilled? Are you still letting fear stop you from pursuing that business idea? Well, all that stops today. I'm Shawnee Sanders, host of The Girl Take No Podcast, a podcast for ambitious women looking to ditch their nine to five and take the leap into entrepreneurship. Each week, you will learn the mindset, methods, and actionable steps other successful entrepreneurs took to make the shift from full-time employee to full-time entrepreneur and live the life they always dreamed of. Now let's get into today's episode. Hey guys, welcome to the Girl Techno Podcast. I'm your host, Shani Sanders. And today I have with me Kristen Mallon. She is the CEO and co-founder of Femgevity, which is a holistic, I want to make sure I get this right. It is a platform for holistic menopause care designed by women. And I'm excited to have this conversation. Kristen, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Shawnee, for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Yes, this is going to be a really good conversation. Um, I'm in that menopause age range. You know, it's still shocking, but I am. And I need to know more. I need to know what's to come for me. And so, but before we get into any of those questions, give me the story behind the brand. What inspired you to start in Jeopardy? So I've been a certified nurse midwife since 2006. And I delivered, I have four kids of my own and I delivered women when I first graduated that were in their 30s and 40s. And then those women got older. And so you can imagine someone who was in their 40s in 2006 is now, you know, well in or past the menopausal time. And they wanted answers and they wanted solutions. And, you know, we weren't really trained in midwifery school. I went to NYU and and no, no shade to my alma mater. I loved my school. I loved my teachers. I think that it's just the timing of when I went to school was right after the WHI, the Women's Health Initiative study that basically was like estrogen is going to kill everybody, which has been proved false, obviously, (laughs) since then. And they were like, well, you can't really prescribe estrogen anymore. There's nothing you can do. So just tell women to suck it up. And it was kind of just this one, Mm -hmm. you know, hour probably. And all of my physician colleagues were the same. And so when I was kind of looking for solutions to give my patients and clients, I was like, well, I wasn't really trained. Let me see what's out there. And Mm -hmm. I was totally shocked that there wasn't any, there wasn't anything, there wasn't anything out there. There there wasn't anywhere for me to refer them to. And a referral is an extension of yourself. You know, you can't just look someone up online and see they have good Yelp reviews and be like, okay, go here. So I was like, okay, I got to figure this out myself. And I love a challenge. So I was like, (laughs) let me get into this. I was very fortunate to connect with a longtime friend of mine who was with me since the beginning of my career. Dr. Michael Abrahams went to Harvard, um, was trained at Harvard, is NOM certified, has been working with menopause his whole career. Mm. So he kind of took me under his wing and really educated me about how the international community really supports menopause, what the International Menopause Society does, what they do in Australia, what they do in New Zealand. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, okay, well, if it doesn't exist, we got to make it. So that's where Femgevity got started. 
That is such a cool story. I love it. You know, menopause is such a big, it's such a big topic, but it's a topic we really don't talk about a lot. Like you really don't see people come out speaking about it as much. And I've been learning so much. We talked to some other doctors and stuff like that, or some another um, midwife and stuff. And, you know, I just realized that women health has been like on the back banner for years right? It's like, we're still not even where we need to be when it comes to men's health. And I was so shocked that we wasn't part of studies for so long. And it's like, how do you know our bodies if we're not part of the studies that you're doing? And I'm yeah, just like, it's definitely. amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, um, it, it's a lot. And, you know, working with pregnancy, it, it's even one step further that they used to give us reference ranges for women and they mm -hmm. didn't say reference ranges that are normal for pregnancy. And so we would, you know, give women lab their labs back and they would, things would be abnormal, but normal for pregnancy. And then women would kind of get all nervous. So I, I totally agree with you. There's, there's so much that needs to be done mm -hmm. in the field of health, in the field of women's health. Yeah. And we're, we're doing it. We're doing the good work. We're having conversations like this. And I think it's like one day at a time, one step at a time room was built in a day. And I think yeah. we're getting there. I'm really encouraged by when I look around and I look around at the other femtech companies and I look around at other women's health companies, like I really get encouraged by what other people are doing in the space. Yeah. It, I mean, it's amazing. Let me ask this question. It's kind of, it's not off topic, but it's a question I was going to ask later. When do you think it's a good time to start talking to young girls about their body changing into this transition? Because a lot of times we don't talk about it until we get to that age. You know what I mean? It's yeah, like, so, should it be something we know about ahead of yeah, time? That's a really fantastic question. And for me, so I do have two young girls and um, one of them is a teenager. And I feel like it's definitely unique and different for every woman kind yeah. of home group, whether that includes grandparents, aunts, cousins, uncles, you know, or just one mom and one daughter. Yeah. And, um, you know, and definitely culturally it's very different, but I found that what worked for me was, um, right around the time of menstruation or menarche is when I kind of like had multiple conversations, you know, not like one conversation, but multiple conversations over many months mm -hmm. um, as like, okay, like this is not just physically like, okay, you're going to have a, a menstrual cycle now and you're going to have these hormonal changes. And what do these hormonal changes mean? But mm -hmm. really trying to explain to her the mental, physical, emotional, and spiritual aspects of what, you know, in some ways it's really in, you know, this might sound morbid, but it's, I think a pretty descriptive way to kind of look at it. Like it's the rebirth or the chrysalis of the child, the yeah. child caterpillar goes into a cocoon. Middle school is a very difficult time for a lot of girls yeah. and then emerges as a butterfly into womanhood, into young adulthood. And there's such a profound transformation that a woman goes through from childhood to early womanhood that yeah. I think she's really ready to take on the wisdom of menopause at that time. Yeah, I think so too. I think it's definitely something we need to talk about earlier because a lot of people don't, you know, because they're associated with aging and everyone want to be so much younger today. You know what I mean? Nobody want to talk about it. And I'm like, it's real, it's happening. And we need to talk about it. I need to know more about it. I'm like, I've been waiting all these years in denial one. You know, I'm in denial. Totally. Yeah, we've been pushing in, it away. Yeah, in denial that no, I'm not that old yet. No, of course not. <laughs> and then my doctor hit me with that reality check. Is like you are in the range. You are, and I'm like, oh, okay. 
Yeah. And that denial isn't serving us because we're delaying seeking treatment. We're delaying seeking care. We're delaying delaying seeking self-analysis and data collection on ourselves to figure out, okay, well, where am I in my late thirties? Where am I in my early forties? That information can be really helpful in your fifties to look Mm -hmm. back and say, okay, well, this is where I felt normal with my hormone levels at this stage. And because we're pushing it away, you know, sometimes denial is helpful. I mean, it's a coping mechanism. So I don't want to, you know, it's, 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 there's a time and place, but I think in this instance, it's just a good opportunity to look at it and be like, okay, is this denial serving me still? Or Mm -hmm. should I change how I'm approaching this? Yeah. Yeah. You know, listen, let's jump back for a minute. So you was a midwife for, um, you was a certified board midwife. You have over 20 plus years experience in the women's health. Did you ever see yourself as an entrepreneur and a tech entrepreneur at that? <laughs> so, you know, what's so funny is um, all I wanted to be was a nurse. I only, I really, really just like my dream in life was to be like a labor and delivery nurse and like mm-hmm. be kind of like the assistant and the side person and not yeah. like the person doing the deliveries. And, you know, it's funny how life just kind of puts things like life just shows things up for you and things just kind of happen um, so I, I graduated from nursing school and I went and got a job. I got a job actually at NYU in the emergency room. And like, mm-hmm. this was like one of my dream jobs. I was like, oh my gosh, it's exciting. I'm going to yes. work in the emergency room. And I was like, somebody, a friend of mine, Teresa, <laughs> um, I, she, she was like, let me just put your name in, you know, for, for midwifery, because you might want a master's degree later on. And I was like, okay. And and she put my name in for um, a work study program where you could like go to school for free and, and um, you know, get a degree for free. And I was like, I'll mm-hmm. never get that. And I ended up getting it. And then I was like, okay, well, I better get this master's degree now. And then one thing kind of led into the, the next. And I just developed such a passion. I was like, wow, this is amazing. Like delivering mm-hmm. babies and being a midwife and, and having kind of the holistic and the medical, but also the alternative approach to women's health. I mean, midwifery, people always ask me like, what's the difference between a midwife and a doctor? And I, and I, yeah. my answer I feel like is really midwives really see birth as physiologically normal. We're mm-hmm. really trained in what's normal. What are the aspects of normal birth? We are experts in normal birth and doctors are really what's they're experts in abnormal births. Mm. And so we are there for, okay, this is within the range of normal okay, something's out of the ordinary of normal, we need to consult with our medical colleagues. And so I loved being part of health in a normal way. And I think that that's something that's missing so much in healthcare today is that Mm -hmm. we have sick care. And so you go to the doctor and the doctor's like, well, you don't have chronic disease yet, or you don't have some sort of like illness, come back when you do. Versus like, well, your liver enzymes aren't really optimal and your kidney function isn't really optimal. You're nowhere near chronic disease, but you're starting to show hints of metabolic disease or cardiovascular disease, or we are maybe concerned about high insulin levels, which could lead to cancer. So let's start addressing those now before we wait for you to have a chronic disease. And then that's really when you go to the doctor, there's such an opportunity there. And, and that's something that really, most like, like usually in the past, that's been dealt with, with acupuncturists and nutritionists and wellness Mm -hmm. experts, but medicine has this really profound opportunity to get involved with that space too, and get out of sick care and get out of chronic disease management and get into what midwifery does, which is like, okay, well, what's normal? What's optimal? Yeah. What is your thoughts on, um, 
hospital births versus home births. Because I had a doctor on um, a few episodes ago, haven't released it yet, but he's a big advocate for home births and the environment that it creates. What are your thoughts around that? So Shawnee, I, um, I'm really guarded with this opinion because okay. I, um, I don't want to get shade from my colleagues, okay. but I will tell you because you're such a sweet, genuine person. And I, I feel like it's, I really have to be my true, honest, authentic self. And I think that's yeah. really important. And I think home birth is right for the right type of low risk women, mm-hmm. low risk women. Yes. And I think that, um, fortunately or unfortunately, someone having their first baby is not always proven to be a low risk woman. And yeah. what I mean by that is, so I always challenge someone, ask someone what they think about home birth that's seen over 2000 deliveries. So I've seen over 2000 deliveries, my colleagues, you know, the, my business partner, my last um, business, um, when I worked my old business, which was integrative OBGYN, mm-hmm. I think he'd been at 10,000 deliveries. Mm. And I've worked with a lot of doctors that have been at 10,000 deliveries, very busy hospitals. I worked at Maimonides Medical Center. They did 11,000 deliveries a year. So when you get to very rare things, they only happen one in a hundred times, one in a hundred births, one in 200 births, one in a thousand births, one in 500 births. So why would, why would you take the risk of something that's one in a thousand with your child's life? And I always say like, you wouldn't play Russian roulette with your, with your child, even if there were a thousand cartridges in the gun and one bullet. And I'm not saying that to scare anyone. I I just say like, I think the advancements that we've made in birthing centers and birthing pavilions, is it really necessary for that risk? And, and then definitely in low risk women and maybe not first time moms, there is definitely a place for home birth. Um, and I do think that maybe even some first time moms that are very, so unfortunately, younger tend to be healthier. That's unfortunately mm-hmm. the optimal time to give birth. Um, and, you know, so sometimes young, healthy women, teenage women do very, very well in birth. Yeah. So I think that there's um, maybe even a possibility for home birth in those situations. So I think it's just, you know, the the pros and cons and the risks and benefits for everyone is there. So I'm not a hard no. Yeah, but yeah. I do always say, ask someone who's been at over 2000 births, what they think about that, because they've seen those scenarios. Like I've seen so many scenarios as a midwife in birthing centers and in hospitals where a woman's coming in with her first baby and no one's touched her. No yeah. one's laid a hand on her. No one's done a vaginal exam. No one's broken her water. No one's given her Pitocin. No one's put, they put a monitor on her for 10 minutes. Yeah. And a complication has arisen that would have ended in fetal death if she had been at home. And so mm. I, I, I just think that though, and those scenarios happen to me very, very rarely, you know, one or two times, Yeah. but I just feel like somebody who's been at 200 births or 500 births or a thousand births doesn't have as much of a breadth of experience to say, okay, well, um, I've seen this and I would never want that to happen. So that's yeah. why I'm very cautious about home birth in general. Yeah. You got to really do your research, I guess, if you're, and you, like you said, you got to take your age into consideration as also, you know, and your own health, you know, as a, as a pregnant woman as well. That's amazing. Yeah. That, that's a good point of view though. I, I like that. Um, let me ask you this question. Did you, was it scary for you to take, to say, Hey, I'm going to move out of this space into now this whole new femtech space. Was it a scary transition for you? 
Yeah. So I'm a big believer in like following your highest excitement. So I always have this saying (laughs) of like, follow your highest excitement to the best of your ability with, with no insistence or assumption on the outcome. And I think since I like kind of started adopting that Mm -hmm. things kind of like, you know, from like a universal or a kind of God perspective, they kind of just fall into place a little bit easier, but yeah, there's definitely some scary, some scary things and some scary times, you know, births is a really tough job and I did it for a very, very, very long time. And I think for most people who do births and birth workers and who live in the birth world, we don't have a very supportive respite system for birth workers. We Mm -hmm. don't really pay birth workers enough, you know, OBGYNs, midwives, doulas, all of it. And we don't really have a respite for being on call for 72 hours in a row or being on call. So burnout is really high. So I think it's, it's kind of natural for midwives and OBGYNs. You know, it's really common for OBs to kind of transition out of OB and do GYN only or do GYN Mm -hmm. surgery. A lot of GYNs go into derm and they start doing aesthetics. So I think for me too, it was a natural transition to kind of be like, okay, I've, I've really given it a go with birth and it was Mm -hmm. a beautiful, wondrous, fantastic time, but that chapter has come to a close. And so for me, it wasn't so much stopping something else and and starting something else. Like it was a natural kind of ending of Mm. my birth job and that um, company that I had started with my other business partner. Mm. And then the kind of like the opening of this um, femgevity with my current co-founder, um, Michelle Wispaway. Yeah. Were you transitioning to that? Were you in that stage too of like, Hey, I'm now in that menopause range when you decided to do this business or were you like just fascinated by it and learned so much and felt like that was a space you wanted to be in? Yeah. So, um, I actually am in my early forties, so mm-hmm. I'm perimenopausal yeah. and I feel like it was really more client driven. It was really mm-hmm. more just okay. like, women were asking me where to, where to go, what do I do? And there wasn't anyone to refer them to. Mm-hmm. It really just came from like the demand of the women that I worked with. Yeah. You know, I don't think we talk enough about perimenopause. I think we just talk about just menopause. Cause you know, what's so funny. And I said this to my doctor, I, I just thought menopause was like, I didn't know it was a stage. I thought it was like, Oh, I'm 50 and now I'm in menopause. You know what I mean? I just think it's (laughs) menopause, boom, it's here. And that's, that's really what, and I think a lot of people think of it that way. Totally. You think you hit a certain age and now you're menopause, I'm in menopause guys, when really you're actually in it for a very long time until it, until the, you're in full menopause. Yeah. So kind of explain perimenopause because I think people need to understand what that is. Yeah. So perimenopause usually lasts Longer. I mean, menopause, technically, the medical definition of menopause is just one day. It's just the day that you have gone 12 months without a menstrual cycle and you're in the the 50s-ish, you know, could be 40s, could be 50s. And, you know, generally your your folliculator stimulating hormone is above a certain level, like in its Mm -hmm. 40s. And but colloquially and like within like street language or like how we talk about it in regular, regular speak is menopause means like that whole kind of time around that one day. It kind of means Mm -hmm. like the months or year leading up to that one day and maybe even the year after that one day. But technically medically menopause is just one day, even though we kind of (laughs) have it mean this whole broad um, like collection of years. Perimenopause is really, 
the years leading up to that one day. And then post-menopause is really the time after that one day. But most of the time, I think we're thinking of perimenopause as like what I'm in now, like early to mid to late Mm forties where you're having kind of like women are kind of having vague um, hormonal change type symptoms. I think the most common perimenopausal symptoms are weight gain, even though women haven't changed a thing. Hair mm-hmm. loss is incredibly common or hair thinning is incredibly common. Night sweats, insomnia, and anxiety. I would say those are like the top five perimenopausal changes. And women just kind of being like, I don't feel like myself. I don't feel normal. I'm more irritable. I have more rage. That's kind of perimenopause. Menopause, menopausal symptoms are kind of more associated with like their regular menstrual cycle, Mm -hmm. longer time in between menstrual cycles, or sometimes the menstrual cycles coming every two months, every two weeks, like super, Mm -hmm. super frequently, and then taking a huge break and then coming back and then heavy and then light. So kind of this like irregular menstrual cycle time, and then the menstrual cycle will kind of like disappear and then come back and that's kind of when the estrogen levels will start to go down. And that's when you have more of the vasomotor symptoms or those hot flashes that are like so commonly associated with menopause. I think if I could like say two things about menopause, I would say menopause is more than hot flashes and, and menopause is more than HRT. Like you don't have to do HRT isn't the only solution for menopause. And then postmenopause is usually like when those symptoms reside. And, And so for some women, that whole journey and that whole experience can be years or even even a decade. And um, there's a lot of different changes. But I think what's happened is so many women have kind of ignored the perimenopausal symptoms yeah. that they don't really realize or recognize that what they've been experiencing is hormonal related. Um, yeah. Or they've gone to the doctor and they've been like, I, I know my hormones are off, my hormones are off, my hormones are off. But they get their hormones evaluated by like a general internist or a, an OBGYN who had the same type of training I had, which is nothing. Mm-hmm. And the lab recs and the lab values will say normal. But when you look at it from, from a perimenopausal normal lab perspective, they're actually low. So I think that that's kind of a a common thing that's been happening to women throughout the, you know, the last decade or two. Yeah. You know what? You're so right. We ignore those signs because here I listening to you, I'm saying to myself, it is hard for me to drop weight now because I'm 48. It's like, it's hard for me to drop weight. And I have been telling people my hair is not as thick as it used to be. I used to have really thick hair. And I said, it's it's not even, I don't have as much hair as I used to anymore. And now I'm realizing, okay, that's because I've been in this perimenopause stage and I had just been thinking it's just, I was just part of getting older. That's what I thought, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think that, and part of that's true, but there are a lot of solutions and things yeah. to do. And yeah. what I love about Gen X, which is like, you know, that's us, right? Like yeah. we're, we're the ones going through menopause now is that yeah. like, we're kind of like, mm, I don't know. Like, I don't think I'm going to do menopause the way that you all did it. Like, <laughs> yes, I think I'm going to take a dip. I think I'm going to go left. You went right. Yes. Like, I think I'm- <laughs> you know, because if you think, if I think about it with my mom, my mom who went through menopause and she had a really rough time. Like my mom used to be really miserable and high all the time. And I just was like, God, is that what I got in store for me? And it's like, I think when we think about it, we think about this with menopause 
we don't think about it as like, oh, this is beautiful transition. We think about it, this is death. This is this is what's gonna happen to us. We're gonna be hot. We're gonna be miserable all the time, you know. And it's like it's a mental. It messes with your mental as well. So totally, I really want to get into how do the symptoms affect you mentally because I know some yeah. people really go through a hard time with menopause. Yeah. So, I mean, I think you brought up a lot of really good things there, like about how the transition, the menopause transition is really like this really fantastic opportunity, Um, you know, similar to birth. And I think Mm -hmm. similar to menstruating for the first time, like how it's like the chrysalis for the the child. I think that menopause is very similar. It's the chrysalis for the woman into the queen. Mm. And she, and that's where we really can full body, step into our full intuition, full power, full wisdom. Like, you know, I I have visions of of women in so many ways, like as like the goddess Athena and like, you know, the, the, um, (laughs) the Egyptian goddess, um, like, and like the God, the Greek goddess Hera and things like that. I think it's, um, like a really powerful time and a really wonderful and beautiful opportunity. And then there's, the other thing about the symptoms that you mentioned, and so there's a lot of research coming out now that when you're experiencing severe symptoms, that actually means that treat a treatment can help with things like longevity. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of research that proves that um, estrogen can help with prevention of cardiovascular disease, bone loss, dementia, neurodegenerative disease. And so I think that not only is it an opportunity from a spiritual and emotional side, but it's also a physical opportunity to to protect ourselves from these long-term benefits that are going to come up in our marginal decade. And then from what you said, like the kind of the mental changes that happen. So one of the things that happens in perimenopause is before estrogen goes down, progesterone goes down and progesterone Mm -hmm. is really important for sleep. And so then once sleep is affected, that's when women will experience a lot of mood changes Mm -hmm. and brain fog. And a lot of times women will have either exacerbated anxiety or depression or OCD or bipolar disorder or rage um, or new onset. And so like they never had it before. And then all of a sudden they have new anxiety. And yeah. this is something that sometimes partners will notice too, before mm-hmm. the, the patient themselves will notice because the partner will say, well, I, I want my wife back. Like wh- yeah. where's my wife? Like what's going on? And then it kind of can create, um, you know, tension and strife in relationships when this might be a really good opportunity for a woman to say, okay, Hey, I should seek out a perimenopause or menopause specialist or a company like ours that can be like, okay, let me get some lab work done. Let me look at the data on myself and see like, is there something I can do here? And again, HRT isn't the only answer because I think yes. sometimes don't go and seek care because they're like, well, they can only give me hormones or they can only give me HRT. That's the only options available for me. But at least having the conversation and then understanding, okay, well, I have these options and th- these are the things that I can do to help me get my sleep back on track, to help me with the brain fog, and then to help me with the mood changes that I've been experiencing a lot of times that are coming from this loss of progesterone. Yeah. Let's talk about, you know, the hormone replacement therapy because of- everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy sandwich, but you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. 
And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. A lot of people do talk about that. A lot of, I think I even heard Michelle Obama say that's what she did. And so I'm, I want to know more about that. Like you said, it's not the only option, but it seems like be, it's the option that a lot of people are pushing. Yeah. So, so yeah, Michelle Obama did it and Oprah did it too. Mm -hmm. And I think that, um, one of the things about Oprah too, is that I think if Oprah was lost for two years, so I'm like, if Oprah Winfrey was lost for two years in the medical community, like what hope do we have? (laughs) But, um, so what's really kind of, kind of cool or interesting about hormone replacement therapy is that I don't really know why women women mammals mm-hmm. lose hormones midlife. So when you look at almost every other mammal, including male humans, they lose their hormones in a much more gradual decline slowly over time and stay fertile usually until the last decade of their life. I mean, I think yeah. there was a talk show host, um, one of them, right? Jay Leno that had a child very late yes. and uh, Hugh Hefner, right? Or yeah. I think they were Robert having Niro, children into their 90s baby. even. Yeah. yeah. All these different people, Al Pacino, all of them just had kids. <laughs> yeah. And, and um, you know, most apes and chimps and bonobos and like our closest cousins are fertile. The women are fertile into the, into the last decade of their lives. Mm-hmm. And it's only us f- human females and like killer whales and like mm-hmm. some narwhals, like some, some types of whales that are, that lose fertility midlife. Mm. And I think that there's some, there's something there. I'm not exactly sure why or what, what that is or what's going on. I don't know if it's something about our evolution or, but I think that there's just something about that, that kind of makes it a little bit like, you know, a crash landing for us rather than this gradual landing. Mm -hmm. And so hormone, I like to call it hormone support or hormone, hormone balancing. It makes the come down like a much more gradual, gentler process, like landing with a parachute rather than base jumping. Mm-hmm. And so <clears throat> as your hormones kind of come down, when you give hormone replacement, you're really just kind of giving hormone support. And it can be done in a, a lot of different ways. It, it doesn't necessarily have to just be estrogen or estradiol, which is the most commonly prescribed estrogen. There's multiple different types of estrogen. There's progesterone, there's testosterone, there's DHEA. Um, there's even someone now doing pregnolone, which is another type of hormone. So Mm -hmm. there's a lot of different ways that it can be given and it can be given in just hints and whispers. And, and that's what a lot of people are doing also with, uh, bioidenticals is like, they're giving very customized treatment doses for women that are poor absorbers or fast absorbers or good metabolizers or fast metabolizers. So that's kind of the, the way that hormone replacement therapy works is it's, it's kind of meant to just bring you down gently so that yeah. you don't have this crash landing into menopause. If you are, cause I'm a, I'm a cancer survivor patient. And so if you are someone who's previously had cancer, you survivor is hormone therapy, something you should consider. For menopause? I love this question. This is like, I I'm so grateful that you let me answer this question. <laughs> so Estrogen actually used, so I'm not sure what type of cancer you have. Breast cancer. Mm -hmm. Okay. So for certain types of estrogen dominant breast cancers or progesterone dominant breast cancers, 
the answer might be no to certain types of estrogen. Mm -hmm. So there is a study going on right now at Mount Sinai that I know about, about the estrogen estriol. So estriol is the estrogen that's found in um, pregnancy. The placenta Mm -hmm. makes estriol. And so far, it has not been associated with breast cancer or associated with exacerbating or causing the recurrence of breast cancer to occur. Now, it's not recommended yet. And it's certainly not something that we um, prescribe for breast cancer survivors that had estrogen, um, estrogen dependent or estrogen dominant breast cancers. And there also um, is some, there is some benefit to taking testosterone. So testosterone is usually considered safe for women who have had breast cancer, but not all. And again, you have to kind of consult with your healthcare provider on an individual basis. Mm-hmm. And also, um, sometimes you can take progesterone. The other thing is, is, um, you know, sometimes topically versus orally or in a patch, mm-hmm. uh, as in like a vaginal insert or a vaginal ring, sometimes there are studies going, undergoing to see if breast cancer survivors can be, can use those types of hormone replacement therapies. Yeah. The other thing is, is I don't know if you've heard of Avram Blungring's book, Estrogen Matters. So, so Dr. Avram Blumring was an oncologist. He was a hematological oncologist. So he did blood cancers and he had this, um, you know, a similar kind of concern that he would see patients that were going through menopause or that were postmenopausal or that were on HRT and that were undergoing chemo or that were needing his, his support. Mm -hmm. And they were suffering and they were having a lot of miserable symptoms and, and certain types of chemotherapies were really making them sick and ill and having pretty severe, um, you know, uh, menopausal symptoms, like, especially when it came to vaginal dryness and like, they weren't able to have sex anymore. And so he really looked into this and him and Carol Travers, who is actually, um, she has a PhD in like sociology. They wrote this wonderful book called estrogen matters. And it's just, it's absolutely fabulous, like how it's been done. And I highly recommend that to anyone who has any type of cancer, not just breast, Mm -hmm. who's considering, um, HRT or who's kind of concerned about taking it. And then also um, his wife ended up getting breast cancer, I I believe when she was 45. And then Mm -hmm. he was able to find HRT that was safe for her. So I I don't, I I think that women who are breast cancer survivors, you know, should consider their options and speak to someone who's an expert in their field. Most OBGYNs are just going to say no right off the bat because they're scared. And most internists are going to say no right off the bat because they're scared. And, and that's okay. But if they're really, really suffering, there might be options there for them that they could consider and, and look into if it's something that like, cause sometimes quality of life is, is pretty bad with menopausal symptoms. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So is it is it good to say you need someone who specializes in menopause to help you through this stage versus just your OBGYN? Because a lot of us will go to our OB when we, you know, when it's that time for them to give us whatever help we need, whatever advice, whatever information we need, as you said, is it is a path for us to say, hey, we need to go to a site like Femgevity and talk with, you know, those professionals who are actually in this space and know exactly what we're going through, it can help us through this space. Yeah. So I, I think that for most women, probably yes, because about 70 to 80% of women, they're going to experience symptoms that are severe enough that it's going to be not just straightforward, like Mm -hmm. out of a box prescribing, or I call it vending machine prescribing, like, (laughs) you know, okay, this patch and this pill for everybody that it's a little bit more um, intricate and 
women are going to need customizable, they're going to need a customizable approach. But for maybe 30 to 25% of women, they're going to have symptoms that are really mild or symptoms that aren't severe, or they're going to have no symptoms and going to their uh, GYN, who's going to be able to kind of give them off the shelf kind of generic treatment, I think is fine. I mean, some OBs are menopause specialists as well, but mm-hmm. a lot of OBs get their menopause education from the drug reps that come to their office and want them to sell their, you know, mainly estrogen patches. That's kind of the yeah. go-to for um, most OBGYNs. It's kind of like what's in their arsenal, estrogen patches, and then uh, micronized progesterone, which is a pill. And so that combination of a progesterone pill and an estrogen patch can probably work for, like I said, 20 to 30% of women. So I would say if you're kind of having mild symptoms, starting with your OBGYN is a great place to go. But if you're kind of looking for something that's a little bit more customizable, or you want someone with a little bit more expertise in terms of like all the options that are available and all the intricacies of all the options that are available. I mean, OBGYNs, they just don't have the time. Like I know, cause I, I did that it's we, and especially for me, like I was really in as being a midwife, I was really an expert in OB. <clears throat> OBGYNs have to be an expert in OB <clears throat> mm-hmm. and gynecology. So they have to be like experts in gynecological uh, surgeries and cysts and fibroids and an ex- expert in childbirth. And then to take on menopause too, it, it's a lot. It's a lot that we put on them. And I think it's also a lot that we don't see women's health as like, okay, we really should have like a a separate doctor for birth and we should have a separate doctor for gynecology and we should have a separate doctor for menopause. And we're getting there because we, we do have separate doctors for breast health. We have breast specialists now, which we, we didn't always have before. So I think that's kind of cool. Yeah, definitely. So is it fair to say that, you know, I'm right now I'm in that stage. I'm not, you know, I don't have any severe symptoms. Is it time for me now to start treating what I'm going through? Or do I wait until it like fully hit me and then start saying, okay, now I need to treat it? Yeah. So what I would probably recommend for you is definitely 100% getting a baseline, mm-hmm. getting baseline labs done to see like where your hormones are and like where, what symptoms you're experiencing and like where you're comfortable. So, yeah. you know, you're not experiencing hot flashes or you are, or you are experiencing hair loss and, you know, kind of going through your symptoms what we do is we have women mark them on a scale of one to 10. Like, okay, so hair loss, you would say it was like a six and weight gain is like an eight. Mm-hmm. And then you would um, get, you would match up like where your hormone panel is in relation to that. One of the things that I probably would also recommend for you specifically, like being a breast cancer survivor is mm-hmm. um, we usually would recommend a GI uh, microbe test because mm-hmm. there is something called the estroblome. And I don't know if you've heard about that, but that's Mm -mm. basically like the way that um, estrogen is metabolized in the gut can actually affect circulating estrogens. And so sometimes women will actually have like leaky gut or they'll have holes in the gut or dysbiosis. They'll have like overgrowth of certain bacteria and that can cause estrogen metabolites to just kind of be constantly circulating, causing more vasomotor symptoms and causing more perimenopausal and menopausal symptoms than are really necessary. So sometimes cleaning the gut can Mm -hmm. solve a lot of the solution, especially if a woman's trying to avoid hormone replacement, even bioidenticals. So that's something I I probably would recommend. And you could work on that now to kind of uh, prepare you for when you, when you're going through the menopausal time. Yeah, I definitely got to do that. You know, I spoke to someone before too, and they said that a lot of, you can really 
um, attack menopause through your health and fitness. Do you agree with that? That it's the foods that you eat. You can switch out your diet. I mean, this is, you can work out more and it can really help you manage your menopause symptoms. So, yeah, I am. Um, I have, I think that that could be true again for probably like 20 to 30% of women. So mm-hmm. I bet there's women out there that are doing that and then are like really loud on social media. Like <laughs> I did it. So you can do it too. And I yeah. just, I do know women who are like marathon runners and unbelievably fit and weightlifters and like still struggling with the symptoms yeah. and women who are not in shape at all and, you know, barely go for a walk and have no symptoms. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's, it's hard to predict who's going to, who, how menopause is going to affect you. I kind of use the analogy like pregnancy, like, um, with, with hyperemesis or nausea and vomiting. So in pregnancy, about 70 to 80% of women experience some form of nausea and vomiting. And then there's like, and I actually was one of these women, like I had no nausea and vomiting in my pregnancy. So then, but somebody else could like have so much nausea and vomiting that they can't even keep water down. And there's no real rhyme or reason for who that happens to. And menopause is very, very similar. So certainly exercise and getting healthier and detoxifying the system and balancing the gut and, Mm -hmm. you know, making sure like micronutrient testing and making sure our nutrients are all aligned is only going to be supportive. Um, But sometimes women can still experience profound perimenopausal and menopausal symptoms, even when they're the healthiest, the healthiest women we know. Yeah, definitely. You know, let's talk about sex drive, because I know that's a big topic, too, when it comes to menopause. How does it affect, you know, especially when, you know, when you're married or your relationships and you say to yourself, well, how is this going to affect me intimately, you know, and my mindset or just my body? Like, will it like decrease my, you know, our sex drive or make it to the point where we just don't want to do any of it? Yeah. So, you know, like I said before, the um, one of the hormones that goes down before estrogen, because we always think like, okay, well, menopause is the loss of estrogen, it's the loss mm-hmm. of estrogen, but really it's the loss of testosterone and pro- progesterone and DHEA and other hormones that kind of all connect together to kind mm-hmm. of support a woman's reproductive longevity, which include yeah. her sex drive and orgasm and how she kind of feels um, about desire and climax and all of it. So it's not uncommon for women to say all of those things. Like I have decreased sex drive, or it's harder for me to reach climax, or when I do reach climax, it's not as intense, or I don't have, I'm having vaginal dryness, or I'm having pain with sex now that I never had. So all of those things are, are really, really common that come up too. And there's a lot that can be done. I mean, just over-the-counter things, vaginal moisturizers can be really yeah. helpful. Um, lubrication, silicone-based lubrication is usually my favorite type of lubrication that I can recommend. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely using apps like Rosie, which has like erotica for couples and like, you know, kind of like G-based erotica, if there could be mm-hmm. such a thing, which can help mm-hmm. kind of couples kind of get back into the mood or things like couple synergy or having couples reconnect with couples retreat, because sometimes for women, it can be, there can be a mental aspect that kind of goes into it. And then if we need to, we can support and balance the hormones. Usually testosterone or progesterone can be really, really helpful in kind of bringing the sex drive back to baseline. Mm -hmm. And then it's not something that's physical or hormonal anymore. Then it's something that's, that's kind of 
for the couple to kind of work out amongst themselves if, yeah. if anything persists after that. I was going to ask that question too. Is it a good um, tactic for you to involve your partner, your husband into what you're going through? So that way they are aware that you're not just attacking them for no reason, <laughs> that they are aware of what your moods are and that, Hey, this is what I'm experiencing. Cause I haven't talked about this with my husband at all. I mean, he knows, you know, my age, you know, it's coming. Right. <laughs> but, um, I, I don't know if it's something I need to start telling him like, Hey, it's, I'm going to start, I'm going to ex- experience mood swings. It's going to be some, there's going to be some changes with me. And I want you to wreck. And I want you to be aware of that just so you're not like shot by what is wrong with you. If you're <laughs> screaming like a crazy woman. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, the more you can be open and, and communicating with your partner about what you're going through, the better, usually I think for most relationships. Yeah. And a lot of times we have, we hear it all the time because I mean, believe it or not, people who call us for appointments, like 10 to 15% of the time, it's the partner calling and saying like my wife or my partner really, really needs help. Like, and they make the appointment for the partner. Um, and I think also educating men about this is great. So like, even by you having a conversation with your husband, like, you don't, you don't know what type of conversations they have, you know, locker room conversations they have, like he might have with his friend or brother or someone he knows and just be like, Oh yeah, Shawnee told me about this thing. Like, or she had Mm -hmm. this podcast with someone Mm -hmm. about menopause and like, Oh, did you know that like the symptoms can start as early as, as 40 and it can affect their mood. And like, Oh, is, is, is your wife kind of angry or is she anxious? Like maybe she should go get her hormones checked by a perimenopausal specialist. Cause like even just awareness, in general will help um, maybe like he could help you talking to him will help you, but also he could help somebody else too. Yeah, definitely help another man out with his wife yeah. going through it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so how does it work with longevity? Is it that we, is there, if we want to say we're able to connect with those, those professionals that specialize in menopause and do they take health insurance? That's one of the big things I want to ask too, when it comes to that, because we know our doctors do, but is this something also this type of um, care? Is it something that your insurance will cover? Yeah. So unfortunately right now there is no CPT code or no reimbursement codes for menopause. I think that eventually it's going to change. I think that there's a lot of hopefully momentum behind menopause awareness and like, Mm -hmm. you know, that we're going to become more aware and insurance companies will start covering this, these types of treatments. But right now there is no CPT code that's available for it. So our consultations are, um, they are out of pocket consultations, Mm -hmm. but you can pay with FSA or HSA and oh, good to know. You, yeah. yeah, and you can if you have a PPO insurance plan or mm-hmm. a plan that lets you go out of network, mm-hmm. we can give you a super bill. So because oh. all of our clinicians are have MPI numbers and DEA numbers and are board certified, we can give um, any patient a super bill and then they can submit to submit that to their insurance for reimbursement. And then mm-hmm. most of the labs um, are covered by insurance. I mean some some insurances do have high lab deductibles. You know, every insurance plan is a little bit different. Yeah. But um, most insurance plans that cover lab, co- that cover laboratory costs, um, the labs are covered because they're just basic hormone panels that we do. Yeah. Cool. That's good to know that the, you can use your HSA, HSA and FA, FSA. <laughs> I told you I would mess some things up. <laughs> to cover that. So that's good to know. Where do you see this industry going, this menopause industry, where do you see it going in terms of technology and just more discoveries in this industry? 
So actually, I think one of the coolest things that's coming out now is um, they're doing cryo-freezing of ovaries, so or ovarian tissue. So there's a thought now that, um, and actually they're doing it a lot more in Europe, where they're removing ovaries from women in their 40s and then their, their early 40s. And then, or not, not both ovaries, one ovary, or just part of the ovarian tissue. And then they're splitting it up into matchstick, um, like really tiny, like pieces of tissue. Mm-hmm. And then they're inserting it into the arm so that the woman will get her own natural hormones to support her through the transition mm-hmm. of menopause. So wow. that's kind of like, yeah, a pretty, um, that's kind of like a pretty, like out there technology, I think that's coming down the pipeline for menopause. For Femgevity, what we're hoping to do is because we co- yeah. we're collecting a lot of data. I mean, we're not sharing anyone's data. Everything's anonymous. We're not mm-hmm. doing anything with anyone's health data. It's all just more about exactly like what you mentioned, like, well, what's actually normal? Because none yeah. of that has been studied in menopausal women. So mm-hmm. that so that we can hopefully get to a place where we can do predictive analytics. So we can say, okay, you're 40, mm-hmm. 44, and you have this symptom and this blood this blood level, well, this is what we can expect you to have happen over the next three or five years. We can expect you to reach menopause at this age. So I'm hoping that that type of information and that type of technology comes to the forefront. And I think that there's going to be more, we just had Vahusa, um, another a medication for non-hormonal um, management of vasomotor symptoms mm-hmm. for um, for menopause. So I think there's also going to be more non-hormonal support and non-hormonal treatments for yeah. women like yourself. I'm not sure what type of breast cancer you had, but if someone had a breast cancer where it's contraindicated to take estrogen or contraindicated to take progesterone, mm-hmm. that they could have more options available to them because right now their options are kind of limited in terms of what medications are available to them. So I think that that's kind of what's coming in terms of uh, menopause. Well, that is, that's awesome. I'm, I'm excited and I'm happy that, like I said, I'm happy this space is being talked about more, which is why I was so excited to have this this episode because I'm like, I want to talk about it. I'm a woman in menopause, in that pre-menopause stage. I want to talk about it. Um, what what what's mo- what you're most excited about with Femgevity? What gets you very excited about it? So I what I really love is I'm a, <laughs> like a super geek about <laughs> about longevity. I mm-hmm. I just I think it's really likely that women like yourself and mm-hmm. and myself are going to live into our 120s. I think that yes. that's a total possibility. And I would like to be able to still play tennis and go hiking and exactly. be able to get on an airplane and put my bag in an overhead bin yes. and travel. And that really excites me to like be able to see not just my kids, kids or so mm-hmm. my grandkids graduate mm-hmm. from college, but maybe even their kids. Yeah. And, um, and then sharing that with other women like really excites me. So I get, I totally geek out and I get super, super passionate when I talk about longevity. And that's why we called it femgevity. And, mm-hmm. and menopause is, is such an opportune time for women to kind of get on the longevity bandwagon because there's so many things that can be done during menopause to solidify that transition, you know, cardiovascular disease is like the number one killer of women. And the way a woman goes through menopause 
And whether or not it's safe for her to take estrogen and whether or not she does take estrogen and how she takes it and how long she takes it can actually protect her cardiovascularly for decades. Mm. And so stuff like that really excites me and, and sharing that with women really excites me. Man, this, listen, this has been such a good conversation. Like it really has. I've learned so much. I'm excited about it. I'm not even in that space. <laughs> yeah, come on but in, Shani. We want to have you. <laughs> right? I'm excited about it. Also, I'm definitely going to maybe reach out to one of your professions on there because I really need to start having this conversation because I have not started talking about it yet. You know, I, I'm just still getting over the shock that I was already in it. And so it's like, now I need to start talking about it and preparing myself for what's to come. So I, I thank you so much for having the show with me, Kristen. This is really yeah. awesome. But before we end, I'm going to ask you a question. I ask all my guests, what is some of the best advice you received from another woman? So um, my best friend told me, you know, there's been times in my life and I'm sure there's been times in, in all of our lives where we just feel so overwhelmed and we don't know where to oh, go yeah. and we don't know what to do. And we're just like running around like a chicken with our head cut off and screaming for help at the top of our lungs and, you know, running over here. And, and she told me something and it, it's been so helpful for me and I use it a lot in my life. And she said, you know, she said, Kristen, you're in the forest and she's like, you've lost your way and you can't see your way out of the forest. And she's mm -hmm. like, you don't know which way to go. And you can't climb up the tree. You're trying to climb up the tree and look to see where the exit is and where the road is. And she said, just sit down and let somebody find you. And I thought that was like the best I advice. Like so sometimes that. I think about that. Like sometimes I think about like, oh, I'm angsty. What do I do? This, that, oh, I gotta, I gotta go, go, go. I gotta fix, fix, fix. I have to yes. do, do, do. Yes. I was like, I'm just gonna sit down. And I'm going to let this solution come to me. And I think in yes. like a type A world, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> it's worked for me many, many, many times. So that I encourage so other women to try true. it. That is so true. Like, I think as some as women, we're a lot of, we always want to fix everything. Yeah. Especially when we're moms and want to make sure the kids are okay. Make sure your husband, everybody's okay. We want to fix, fix, fix. And we do get overwhelmed sometimes. And I like that when you need to just sit back and just let it come to you. Yeah, You know, you don't, I, I love that. Cause I, I need to practice that myself a hundred percent. I'm one of those per people who are just like uh, doing everything right now. I'm like, Oh my God, I gotta get my kid off the bus. So it's the last day of school. Let me, <laughs> do this. I get it. Oh my God. Well, listen, this has been such a great episode. Thank you so much for coming on and enlightening us with this conversation. I had a really great time. Love your personality. Love him. Definitely going on to the site myself, recommend all my listeners do so as well. Um, guys, listen, I'm Shani Sanders. This is the Girl Techno Podcast, and we will talk with you next time. Thank you for listening to the Girl Techno Podcast. We really hope this episode gets you one step further in your dream of becoming an entrepreneur. If you like this episode, please leave us a review. Once you leave us a review, we will shout you out on our next episode. Now, in order to qualify for the shout out, all you have to do is leave a review, screenshot the review, Tag Girl Take No Podcast in your stories and you will get a shout out in our next episode. Until then, guys, thank you so much for listening and we will talk to you next time. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. 
And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.